0: Uh, I, I want to begin this morning by talking about names, okay? And talk about names. Now, if you're like me, you've probably looked up your name before to figure out what your name means. Now, I did this a long time ago. I did it again this week just to make sure it hadn't changed in, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years, and it hadn't. Uh, my name is, is Chad, or that's what you call me. My official name, my legal name is actually Chadwick. Now, Chadwick was really popular back in the 70s. It's not so popular in the 2000s, okay? It's way down the list somewhere. But if you go look up my name, Chadwick, here's what you will find. My name means, okay, ready for this? Chad's Dairy Farm. <laughs> Pretty boring stuff, right? I wish it could be something better, but it's not. It's just Chad's Dairy Farm. My, my wife, Kara, her name means beloved or it means pure, I dug a little deeper into the Turkish meaning, because sometimes you got to look at the Turkish meanings to really find something. It says dark there, okay, so th- there's that, but, but if you know my wife, those first two, beloved and pure, definitely fit who she is. But, but our names, thank you. Our names have meaning, right? There, there's a connection there with our meanings, our names. They, they fit us, and so often they really define who we are. Like, I can't imagine going by the name of, of Bob, okay, Nothing against Bob's out there, but I can't imagine having that name. just doesn't fit me. Or Giovanni, that doesn't fit me at all. The name that fits me, the name that defines me so well is the name that I have, is, is Chad, or again, as as Chadwick. Well, this morning I want to talk about a name that I think every single one of us should be familiar with. You saw it up on the screen there just a second ago. It's this name, Christian. Uh, because it's a name that many of us carry um, that defines who we are, defines what we believe, it defines who we're supposed to be and how we live our our life. And so I want to spend some time this morning talking about that, but I want to talk about where the, the very first time is we see this name Christian. It actually comes in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and those parentheses are there because they're in the translation of this. It says, "...it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians." Now, we kind of assume uh, that this name Christian probably is all throughout the New Testament because, I mean, this is what they call themselves, right? We only find this name Christian three times in the Bible, and this is one of those three times. Those early people who followed Christ, they actually didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves disciples. That, That term Christian that was given was given by the group of people who lived there in Antioch, and that group of people in Antioch, they were, they were known to give different people groups sarcastic names. Uh, they did this to ridicule them, to ridicule them for who they were and what they thought of you and the things that, that you believed. And so they, they give them this name, Christians. Now, the actual meaning of that word Christian is Christ folk. Now, for us today, we're like, that's not too bad, right? But, but in those days, it was very demeaning towards these people who, who were disciples, these people who were following Jesus. And so they would hear themselves be called Christians, and it was kind of like, oh, I mean, this is this, this sort of this, this reputation that we have, those crazy, strange, weird people who followed this guy who did all these miracles, supposedly, and he died, and he came back to life, and, and those people are strange, and they're weird. And, and so there was sort of this reputation that these Christians carried because of that name, again, meaning Christ folks. But there were other parts to this that, that made their reputation um, more harmful than, than good, if you look back into those early days of these disciples, um, they had a reputation that was perceived of them based on some things that, that they actually believed. For instance, some people thought they were cannibalistic. They thought they were cannibals because they did this thing called communion. And when they took communion, it was all about eating the blood or the body of Christ and drinking the blood of Jesus. And like, well, they must be cannibals. They thought they were incestuous because they kept talking about how they need to love their brothers and sisters. And you heard this all the time like, whoa, that's probably a family you need to stay away from. They considered them atheists. I know that sounds very, very strange. But in the Roman and Greek world, you you were supposed to follow all these different gods. And, And over here, you've got this group of people, and they're like, there's just one God. How can you just follow one God? There's all these different gods. And so even if you followed one God, in those days you were thought or considered to be an atheist. You lacked patriotism. Uh, there was a separation or there was no separation between church and state and those cultures. And here's this group of people saying, well, well yeah, actually there is. You were seen to be antisocial because you didn't participate in all the festivals that were going on. Why? Well, because they were all about religion and politics and the socioeconomic stuff. I mean, it was all connected in some way. And and yet this that these people that were known as Christians, they were they were kept away from from those events. You were bad for business. Uh, you weren't buying idols anymore because you believed in this one God. Um, you didn't purchase sacrificial animals, and so you were hurting the business world. And even more than that, probably the biggest thing is people looked at these individuals who they were now calling these Christ folks they, they thought this was only for poor people because the majority of the people who were Christians in those days, they were impoverished. impoverished They, they lived in poverty. And so this was the reputation that these Christians carried, these, these Christ folk carried all around, these disciples of Jesus. These were assumptions that were made about them. And as you can imagine, for these people who were trying to follow Jesus, because they had this, this phrase or this name Christian attached to him, It was actually, again, it was doing more harm to them than good. Even though they were doing amazing things, this was the reputation they had. And so it's a great thing that here we are 2,000 years later and Christians have an incredible reputation in our world, right? No, maybe things haven't changed in a few years. And so that's why in this series called Difficult People, we're going to start by talking about Christians. I need you to stay with me, okay? Because here's the deal. I don't know if you know this or not, I'm a part of that group, okay? And so many of you are too. And yet here we are 2,000 years later, and our reputation, if we're a follower of Christ, I'm afraid that it may be causing more harm than than good. That those of us that say, hey, we're going to follow Jesus and we're we're a Christian, that we forget what that name truly stands for. We we forget who we represent. We, We forget the life that we're meant to live. And I think often what we find is that we... We say we believe this, and, and this is important, and yet we, we live a life that's, that's very different. It's like we're, we're going through life wearing these, these masks and playing these parts. In Greek theater in those days, the actors were called hypocritas. And that word, hypocritas, actually means, or we translate it into hypocrites. And so if you know much about Greek theater in those days, it was one person who played all these different parts, and, and they'd have these different masks, and as they would change parts, they'd take the new mask and they, they would put it on. So if you think about that, that's actually a positive meaning. That, that's not a, a bad meaning, but over time, that term, hypocrites, hypocrite, um, hypocritos became this, this negative meaning, and it, it became really focused on people who said they, they were Christians, Now, Jesus used this word hypocrites quite a bit, and he used it really to define this real certain group of people, a specific group, these people who were religious leaders, uh, specifically the Pharisees. We find one of these moments in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 23, starting with verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. So here's Jesus. He's, he's having this teaching. He's teaching this crowd that's there, and he's giving them this warning. He's talking about these teachers, these religious leaders. He's like, they tell you to do one thing. They tell you to live your life a, a certain way. They, they make sure you're doing the right things. But, but if you look at their lives they're actually living the life very differently than they're asking you to live. He says they don't practice what they preach. Look at verse 5. Everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. So Jesus really takes the time to expand on these thoughts. He's like, their faith is not real, it's a facade, it's a show that they're putting on. They're, they're playing this, this game. See, who they are supposed to be is not who they really are. In their book, Unchristian, David Kenneman and Gabe Lyons, they wrote these words. They said, the primary reason outsiders feel hostile towards Christians is not because of any specific theological perspective. What they react negatively to is our swagger, how we go about things and the sense of self-importance we project. Again, I'm not sure things have changed in over 2,000 years. Jesus then, over the next few verses, he lays out these seven woes towards these religious leaders. And every single time he gives them one of these woes, he calls them hypocrites. Now, Jesus uses that word hypocrite 17 times in Scripture. And every single time, it's a harsh word specifically for religious people. Because he's like, here's a group of people said, hey, you, you should connect with God, and you should love God, and you should love people. And yet, if you were to look at their lives... As Jesus talks about, they were living their life very differently. Jesus said they're wearing masks. They're they're acting like they're one person. They're they're acting like you're supposed to live this way. They're telling you to live this way. And yet, if you look at their lives, they're not living that way at all. And again, here we are a few thousand years later, and there's that buzzword that non-Christians push toward Christians today. And they call us hypocrites ourselves. And so that name Christian carries that reputation with it. In fact, if we go back to the book on Christian, there's a quote in there that um, Kenabin and Lyons put, and this is from a non-Christian. It says, most people I meet assume that Christians mean very conservative, entrenched in their thinking, anti-gay, anti-choice, angry, violent, illogical empire builders. They want to convert everyone, and the And they generally cannot live peacefully with anyone who doesn't believe what they believe. I read that quote and I think, they're not really wrong, are they? I mean, because isn't this the reputation so many Christians carry today? Because we're really not any different than those religious leaders back in Jesus' day. We, we say, hey, we're all about loving God and about loving people. But too often our words and our actions, our, our reactions in life, what we really believe, it doesn't actually line up with loving God and with loving people. And so we're called hypocrites. We say one thing and we say this is the way that you should live your life. And this is what your life should look like. And yet we live our lives very differently. Which, what do you think that does to the reputation of those of us who call ourselves Christian? Think about it this way. Um, Let's say your dad says he's a Christian. And um, he's posting scriptures on social media every day. And he talks about his involvement in his church and how much he serves the community and people on the outside look at him like, man, he's got his life together. He's living a great life. But, but you know that he's never asked for forgiveness for all the hurt that he's brought your family. Or maybe you're a Christian and you've been a Christian a while and you've got these Christian friends and you've, you've tried to live a, a Christian life, but, but you, you make a mistake. You have an affair. You, you've repented of it, uh, you, you've sought help for it, you've been looking for healing. But through this whole thing, you're looking for support from from these Christian friends. But but as you go looking for them to help you through this tough time, it's almost like you have this this scarlet A attached to your your chest. And you begin to think in your mind, I thought these people said they love God and love people. And I, I thought they loved me and they were followers of Christ. Why aren't they here for me? Or maybe a teenager makes a decision in their life and they become pregnant. And they're really struggling with what to do, and, and they end up taking this step of uh, abortion. And, and instead of in the church with Christians, instead of finding healing and grace and love and compassion for people who say they love God and love people, what do they face? They face ridicule and hate and anger and admonishment. See, see we say we love God and we love people, but sometimes the actions and words and reactions that we have are, are nowhere clear, close to that. Is it, is it any wonder then that so many people walk away from, from their faith when they don't feel like anybody is there for them in those, those tough times? Is it any wonder people don't want to take their first steps of faith when they look at us as Christians and are like, but you're not living the life that you said you're, you're supposed to live because sometimes some of the most difficult people that are out there are people like me who say they're a Christian and people like you who say that you're a Christian. We carry that name, and yet the reason it's got this poor reputation is because we've forgotten how to love people and how to love God. But how can we change that? How can we begin to be a group of people that that live a different life, that we're not hypocrites, that we're not difficult people, that we are loving God, and we're loving people in this world, and we're living out the mission God has for us? Well, I want to share with you a couple of things this morning that I see in us that maybe we can change. And then a couple of steps I think we can take to help us through that. But here's here's the first thing I would say is we've got to stop being obnoxious about our faith. Stop being obnoxious about our faith. Our topic today was actually going to be difficult people, spiritual giants. Okay, Now, spiritual giants can take on two meanings. For some of us, we think of a spiritual giant. It's like somebody we look up to. Like, they've, they've gone through life, and they've, they've made some great decisions, and maybe they've messed up, but, you know, they're still following Christ, and they're growing and growing. It's like, man, I want to I be more like you. I'm not talking about that group of people, okay? I'm talking about the other side, and that's the group who think they're spiritual giants, and actually who they are are obnoxious Christians. Um, they act like they've got it all together. And they believe, because they've got it all together, that whatever convictions they have, whatever theologies they carry, whatever their belief system is that's in place, that that's the same belief system and theology and convictions that, that you should have too. But here's the problem. They focus on that more than they focus on living this Christ-like life. Let me give you a couple of examples. Obnoxious Christians, uh, they quote scripture at you, Right? Uh, like it's going out of style. They, they tell you about how much they, they pray. They tell you how much scripture they read. They tell you how much uh, are often they're in church and all the good things they're doing in the community. And then you look at their social media posts, and you're like, man, they should be posting some really great things. And they're talking about how terrible these non-Christians are and, and how these Christians are and how bad they are and their faith and their, their theology. And you look at them, and you're like, nothing good is coming from this. But then they look at you, and they tell you that your life stinks and there's a reason that your life stinks there's a reason you have anxiety there's a reason you struggle with depression there's a reason that you're so messy there's a reason you can't move forward in your life and here's usually the answer they give you you're not praying enough right yep you've heard that before I know I've heard it before or you're not praying hard enough if you just if you just keep praying then God's going to take all these issues away again no wonder Christians have the reputation uh, that we do. See, spiritual giants think that that the right, let me rephrase that. They know they're right, right? And you're wrong. And no one will ever convince them otherwise. And you know why? Because they've taken time to read every single book. They've listened to all the podcasts that are out there. They sing all the right worship songs. They've got it all figured out. But you don't. And I think to myself about this particular group of people, and I think, you know what? I bet you're a lot of fun at parties. That was a joke, because you're not. People are like, get away from that guy over there. You don't want to talk to him. Mm-mm. And if I can talk to my Gen Xers for a second, we go back to Wayne's world. These spiritual giants, they feel like everybody should walk around like, we're not worthy, we're not worthy, right? I mean, it's kind of this attitude that they want towards them, because they figured it all out. And you and I and other people haven't. My impression with this group, my experience with this group of people is as they live their life this way, it makes you feel like a nobody. Even worse than that, it makes you feel like you're not worthy of Jesus because your faith isn't where their faith is. And if you're not equal to them spiritually, then you're messing up that there's more you can always be doing but I have to remind myself sometimes uh, that I may be this person too, that, that I may be this obnoxious Christian when it comes to my faith. And I definitely know some that, that fit that category. But I begin to wonder how many wounded people have we left behind us? How, how many hurt people have, have left the faith or never taken that first step of faith in their life because of this one thing, because of this, this arrogance that, that we carry with us? See, we have become obnoxious about who we are. We claim we love God. We claim we love people, and yet we live a very different life. Makes me ask the question, where is our humility? Where is our humility? I love James 3.13. James writes, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Here's James, he's like, don't be obnoxious about your faith. Don't be obnoxious about the things that you know. He's like, live out your faith, do good things, but oh, by the way, be humble while you're doing good. Because when you go back and you look at the life of Jesus, here's all I see is this, and I know he's God's son, but all I see is this guy doing all these really good things, but he does it with this humble spirit. And because of this humble spirit, he influenced so many people's lives, not just while they were here on earth, but for eternity. You and I, were not Jesus, I get that, but... But I think we miss the opportunity to influence lives when we're not humble about this faith that we have, and so are you being obnoxious about your faith or are you being humble? Second thing I would say is we've got to stop being judgmental a uh, a few years ago, our um, care and I we dropped off our kids at nana and papa's house, my parents' house for a week and Parents, have you ever done that with your your kids? Then uh, you know it takes like two to four weeks after that to go through the decompression stage, right? To get them back to you know normal. Because whatever rules you put in place and you told grandparents to follow, they don't. And uh, so it's a whole new, brand new kid that comes back, and it takes a few years to deal with that, but or a few weeks to deal with that, maybe years. But um, but we love grandparents anyway. We get back home and uh, we're watching TV one day. A commercial comes on, and it's for the TV show Judge Judy. Now. Apparently, uh, what we found out when we got the kids home, one of the things that Nana and Papa did, maybe Nana more than Papa, but um, she likes to watch Judge Judy. And it seems like it was somewhere between one to five hours of Judge Judy every single day. And so we had to deal with that and decompress the kid from Judge Judy. But we're watching this TV show. Commercial comes on for jo- Judge Judy and our, our middle child, Avery. She looks up. And she's like, oh, I want to be like Judge Judy when I grow up. Again, had to do some decompression from that, too. But anyway. Although her, her paycheck is probably not too bad. This is one of the biggest uh, criticisms non-Christians have of, of Christians is that we're accused constantly of being judgmental. That we look at the lives of people outside of our immediate world that we live in, outside of our church and Christianity. We look at the world we live in, and automatically we're just passing judgment on everybody. It's like we want to be Judge Judy for everyone. And so if you don't believe what I believe, I'm going to judge you. If you don't live the life that I think you're supposed to live based on Scripture, based on my theology, based on what's in the Bible, then here's the deal. I will judge you. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So here's Jesus like, you want to be Judge Judy? You want to judge others? Okay, that's fine. Here's the deal. How you judge other people is exactly the same way that you will be judged in your life. What Jesus is trying to do, he's condemning these hypocritical judgments that people are making on other, other people that, 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 that's focused on, on the faults of others while at the same time excusing my own faults and, and my own sins in my life. Now, hear me out just for a second. Theologically, it may be a problem what they're doing and it may be a sin. And there's even precedents in Scripture of, of how in the church that, yeah, at some point in time, we may have to judge other people because they're not following Jesus the way they're supposed to be following. They're, they're in a sin, and we're like, we got to help you through this. And it's not to condemn them, but it's to help them heal and to get the support that they need through these tough times. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is how too often you and I, if we're Christians, we may end up judging everyone around us. And that becomes that moment where we're really obnoxious to those people that that we're called to love. There's no discussion. There's no conversation. We don't know how to be empathetic toward anybody anymore because in our minds that other person is wrong. Uh, what they say, the circumstance they're in in life, it doesn't matter to us because we judge them. We know the truth. We hold the truth. You need the truth. Now let me persuade you of that truth. kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, about this idea of self-righteousness. Matthew 23, 28, Jesus says, Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Statistics show that 87% of people who are outside of Christianity view Christians as judgmental 87% think about this practically you're talking with one of your neighbors maybe you've met them a few times you're having a conversation some reason you start talking about you know church or, or your faith and you say you're a Christian. That means if they're not a Christian, if they don't follow Jesus nine out of ten times, they're going to automatically think that in that moment, oh, you've been judging me the whole time that you've lived here. But that's kind of where our minds go, right? People think that because we are a follower of Christ, because it's the reputation Christians have, that we're always judging other people. And when that is the ideal that people hold, guess what our reputation is going to always be? that we are people who judge others, which means we have to learn the power of things like grace and, and mercy and, and that we can't get focused on what someone else is doing in their life, but what we can do is give them that grace and that mercy in those, those tough times that they're going through or those, those moments where they need someone to be there with them. We can either judge them or we can be there to help them in those moments. How do we get beyond this judgmental attitude, hypocrisy, being obnoxious? Well, let me leave you with these two ideas. First, uh, remember this, that Christians are messy people too. Just because we, we carry that name Christian doesn't mean we have our lives together. Now, some of us think we do, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the truth. You don't, okay? And here's how I know this to be true. This is the thing that should tell us that this is true. God didn't send you to this earth to save humanity. God sent Jesus, right? John 3, 16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. See, I think as I read that and I begin to, understand a little bit more about what this name Christian really means, I think if we realize that we are messy people, our potential to influence more people to know who Jesus is grows exponentially. Part of the reason I believe this to be true is I look at recovery programs, and you know the reason they work so well? Because here's a group of messy people who understand they're messy people, they're to help people that are messy in their mess, right? Right? That's why recovery programs work so well. And sometimes my prayer is for us as followers of Christ, may we be messy people who understand we're messy people, here to help messy people in their mess. I'm being honest. I mean, if we prayed that prayer over and over again and we began to really hold on to that, then I think we we could influence more people to know who Jesus is. But it starts by understanding that we're messy people too. And the second thing I would say is you got to make your foundation Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures, and it's uh, it's kind of strange. It's an interaction Jesus has with the Pharisees. Uh, you may have not even seen it before, noticed it, but I love this this conversation that Jesus has. It comes out of John chapter five. And I'm going to read to you how the message uh, paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, but I love the way that, that the message puts it. John five thirty nine through 40, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am standing right before you, and you are not willing to receive from me the life you say you want. See, I love this passage because here's Jesus, and he's talking to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, and they're all about the rules, they're all about the legalities, they're they're all about looking in Scripture. And Jesus is like, guys, you're trying to read, and you're trying to learn, and you're trying to understand. Here's the deal, all of that stuff you're you're looking at, it's all about me. Like, I'm standing right here in front of you, and yet you're still missing me. For many Christians, I'm afraid sometimes our foundation is the Bible, it's coming to church, it's being generous, it's serving, that it's, it's church things, it's, it's Christian things. Now, do not get me wrong here. Those are very, very important. Reading scripture and praying and giving and serving and being who God has called us to be extremely, extremely important stuff But too often we're kind of like the Pharisees where those things really become the foundation of our faith. Like those are the things that we invest all of our time and we're focused on and we forget about the most important thing, and that's Jesus. And here's Jesus telling these Pharisees, I'm standing right here in front of you and you're missing it because your foundation is somewhere else. Maybe it's time for those of us that are followers of Christ to actually understand where our foundation should be. Uh, that church things and Christian things are good, but it doesn't really work well when our foundation is not found in Jesus. And maybe that's why we may be some of the most difficult people people are ever around, and we carry that reputation every day. As we head into our time of communion this morning, kind of wonder... Can we take back the name of Christian? Uh, can we be a, a people that really is focused on loving God and, and loving the people around us? Where we begin to truly be who we are called to be. Because when Jesus is our foundation and we begin to live that life, it changes who we are. It transforms us as God uses us to help transform the lives of others. And instead of hurting so many people and leaving so many people wounded behind us, if we could change this attitude that we have sometimes about who we are and about our, our faith, and about that name Christian, God could do a crazy, amazing things as we help to support and, and heal and, and watch with, with this kindness and help with, with compassion for those who need it. Instead of people walking away, instead of them not taking their first steps, People find a better and stronger relationship with Christ or they they find that relationship for the very first time. But to get there, so we're not obnoxious, so we're not judgmental and hypocritical, it is important for us to remember that as Christians, we are messy people. We're not perfect, and we never will be. And messy people can help other messy people in their messes. But that also means making sure that Jesus is the foundation of our life. That Jesus is the focus of everything we do. And with that as our foundation and understanding that messiness is in us, I truly believe we can maybe begin to take back that name Christian and truly be Christ folk in our time here on this earth.